Welcome to Tibet Talks, a podcast series from the International Campaign for Tibet. You are about to hear the recording of a live conversation from October 14th, 2021. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Teshitele, uh, and welcome to yet another episode of Tibet Talks. I'm Denche Gyatso and I'm pleased to be the moderator for um, this uh, uh, program today. Um, the American people have a long history of support for His Holiness the Dalai Lama and the Tibetan people. Uh, and uh, in fact, three days from today is the anniversary of the bestowal of the Congressional Gold Medal, the highest civilian honor that was awarded uh, also to His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Similarly, in 1991, the United States Congress passed the Tibetan Immigration Act of 1990, which provided for 1,000 immigrant visas for natives of Tibet in India and Nepal. As a result of this one act of Congress, we have now thriving Tibetan American communities in more than 27 states across the United States. And uh, we are going to learn more about this through our conversations today. Joining us, we have four guests. Our, um, our first guest has been on our program already several times. Uh, he currently heads uh, Tibetan Language Service of Voice America, but he has a long list of accomplishments, including as uh, Kalun Tipa or President of the Central Tibetan Administration. He has also served as representative of His Holiness uh, to the Americas from 1973 to 1986, and also as a special representative of His Holiness to Washington, D.C., and concurrently as uh, the founding president of ICT from 1987 to 1990, uh, during the time that uh, this uh, Effect. So, please um, first join me. Uh, jo well, join me to welcome Tenzila to our program. Thank you for taking time from your holidays to be with us. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. Our uh, next guest also uh, served as a representative of His Holiness to North America from 1987 to 1997, and later served as president of Tibet Fund in. New York. He co-chaired also the Tibetan U.S. resettlement project, which successfully resettled uh, the thousand Tibetan uh, immigrants in 21 cities across the United States during 1992 to 1993. So please join me to welcome uh, Rinchen La. Thank you for joining us, Rinchen La, for our program. Thank you. And uh, for our viewers uh, watching uh, live, we'll be taking questions at the end uh, of our conversation. So if you have questions, please post them directly under the live stream if you're on Facebook, or you can email them to us at comments at safetibet.org. Um, so let me first begin, Tinsla, by asking uh, you to give us uh, a little history and background uh, to this bill. Um, how did it come about and uh, what was your involvement? Thank you. Uh, sure, I'll be happy to start. Uh, and let me just give a little background. Although I haven't researched properly on the history of Tibetan immigration to the US, uh, but I believe one of the first Tibetans who actually came as a immigrant is Tenge Tundula who's a doctor in the San Francisco Bay Area. I believe she came uh, to the United States in 1951. So she may be the first Tibetan immigrant, so to speak. And she is a descendant or great-granddaughter of uh, uh, the gentleman from Darjeeling who became the first police commissioner, a Tibetan police commissioner in Lhasa. Anyway, after 1959, when the first refugees came out of uh, Tibet, His Holiness the Dalai Lama appealed to many countries for assistance for refugees, including the resettlement of Tibetans in uh, whichever countries might uh, take them. And as we know, the majority of the Tibetans were given asylum in India primarily, and also given asylum in Bhutan, and uh, many were given asylum in uh, 
uh, Nepal, but with you know, uh, with uh, no proper documentation so far. Uh, as for the United States, I believe His Holiness appealed to the United States government, wrote to the president, and uh, during President Johnson's time, uh, uh, there was some mention of a possibility of this uh, Tibetan immigrants coming to the U.S. But President uh, Johnson did not give a clear uh, answer to to the request, simply saying that maybe uh, Tibetans could apply. Mm -hmm. uh, which in a sense might have meant, uh, you know, you could come, but at that time, maybe uh, uh, it, it didn't seem like a clear-cut answer and it was not pursued. Uh, later on, uh, small groups of Tibetans came as lumberjacks mm -hmm. in Maine uh, under work pro programs. Uh, some scholars came to uh, Seattle at the University of Washington under a Rockefeller mm -hmm. program. And a number of individual Tibetan lamas and scholars and students came to the United States. So by the mid 1980s, there were only about 100, uh, say about 450 Tibetans living in the United States. Mm -hmm. And uh, during President Carter's time, His Holiness had made another request uh, for uh, refugees from uh, Bhutan, Tibetans who were at that time uh, having some new issues and possibly having to leave Bhutan and the Carter administration went through a long process and at the end they did not uh, offer any uh, resettlement facilities. Uh, but by the mid-80s uh, there was a renewed effort uh, and uh, which uh, resulted in the immigration of 1,000 Tibetans and that's a long story but in essence it's a story that uh, it's an effort that became successful because a whole host of people mm -hmm. at different stages uh, made specific, shall we say, contributions that made it happen uh, and eventually resulted in a bill being passed by the United States Congress allowing for the 1,000 Tibetans. So I think as a start, this is the background to how it happened. Yeah. And yes, and you said, what was my role? Well, I was mm -hmm. involved in that process from the beginning to uh, a very successful uh, uh, completion of 1,000 events coming by the mid-1990s to the United States. Thank you. Thank you for that context, Rinsala. Um, Rinsala, I'll ask, you were also um, very closely involved uh, in this program, so could you speak uh, to... Uh, um, some of your thoughts looking back, um, what uh, were uh, some of the important maybe setbacks and issues that uh, you had to deal with and how they were overcome? What are your, what do you recall from those days? The time goes so fast uh, mm -hmm. that it has already been 30 years since the adoption of uh, uh, immigration visa for the Tibetan refugees living in India and Nepal. Thank you, Denjala, for uh, arranging this talk and Kumar Denjala for the background uh, information. Uh, in 1989, Kursu Tenzin Namjala uh, met uh, with Ed Barner uh, in Boston area. And at that time, Ed Barner uh, reported him that Congressman Bernie Frank has an idea of uh, uh, introducing a legislation to allow Angela, one uh, May I ask, who was Ed Berner? You and I, we all know Ed Berner, but not everybody listening knows Ed Berner. Uh, Ed Berner is uh, someone uh, who lived in uh, Boston area, Massachusetts area, and uh, he is someone who is very uh, interested uh, with the Tibetan issue, and uh, and that's how you know he happened to meet with Denzila. Uh, Denzila went to Boston to give a talk on Tibet, and he was in the audience. And after the talk, uh, he approached Denzila and uh, informed him that uh, Congressman Barney Frank is has an idea of uh, bringing 1,000 Tibetans to the United States uh, in detail, you know, like uh, Congressman uh, Bernie Frank said that there is uh, 
you know, uh, and and uh, a lot for bringing seventy five thousand uh, East Europeans to the United States, and his idea was to reduce seventy five thousand to seventy four, and add one thousand Tibetans, and he thought that is this will be you know practical, that uh, Tibetans might you know uh, get support from the U.S. Congress. And then Kumar Tenzinla, after his return to Washington, D.C., uh, called me to say that he met Ed Badner and he has this idea, probe us brainstormed. And I actually thought that it would be difficult because that time it was so difficult to get uh, get green card even for a single, you know, uh, Tibetan. Mm -hmm. But Kumar said, you know, we have so much support in this country that uh, it could be possible. And then two of us, you know, agreed that we approached uh, the Central Tibetan Administration and mm -hmm. Gore wrote to Damsala, and which remained unanswered. And uh, then in the meantime, His Holiness Dalai Lama visited United States. Mm -hmm. And Gore asked me to schedule uh, an audience for Ed Badner. And mm -hmm. I was able to get a slot in uh, New Jersey. And Ed met His Holiness and informed him about Congressman Bernie Frank's idea of bringing 1,000 Tibetans to the states. And His Holiness advised uh, us to discuss among ourselves and also among American friends. So at that mm -hmm. time, Gejala was in, in the entourage as usual. And Gary Rinpoche, uh, as the, the Minister for International Relations, was also mm -hmm. there. And then uh, Tenzila was there, and four of us uh, had thorough discussion uh, with also some of our uh, American supporters. Mm -hmm. uh, that time, uh, our American friends were uh, against uh, bringing 1,000 Tibetans to the United States uh, with uh, numerous reasons. They said that uh, uh, Tibetans are preserving their unique culture in exile, in settlements, in monasteries, and in schools. And that, uh, you know, we are uh, protesting uh, Chinese government mm -hmm. for destroying Tibetan culture and Tibetan way of life uh, by making Tibetans a minority in their mm -hmm. own country. So by bringing 1,000 Tibetans in the United States, they thought that they will uh, lose their uh, identity uh, in the melting pot of uh, American culture. Uh, mm -hmm. they, they were very much you know, against this idea. But then we found more advantages in bringing 1,000 Tibetans to the states. First, mm -hmm. United States is no longer a melting pot. Uh, there are ethnic groups such as Koreans, Japanese, Chinese, and Indians who are preserving their language and culture, their identity, while fully participating in American way of life. And then uh, on the other hand, uh, United States is uh, a land of you know, uh, immigrants and then you know, uh, land of opportunity. And we thought that the Tibetans who would be coming to the States will have uh, a higher standard of, standard of life and their children will also get better education. Then the third reason was that uh, these, you know, um, compared to the majority of Tibetans in India and Nepal, those who come to the States will have, uh, will economically do better. So they can help their uh, relatives and then the community and overall strengthen Gyatumang uh, contribution to the uh, CTA. Mm -hmm. uh, and then lastly, you know, bringing Tibetans to the United States is not not only to preserve uh, the Tibetan culture and uh, identity in this country, but to try to bring the uh, dream of, you know, uh, to, to try to save Tibet uh, itself from dying. So we thought uh, that time, you know, Tibetan community, it, we were very small, but very, very active. And uh, from ICT, you know, they uh, use, ICT used to send action alerts and Tibet support groups across the country would write to their uh, representatives on the Capitol Hill. Uh, for example, you know, in 1980, 
9, there was a huge protest in New, New York, uh, followed by the big demonstration in Tibet, which was crushed uh, by the military. So many were killed. And then uh, US Tibet committee members, including some Tibetans, they went to see uh, US ambassador. Uh, at, at that time, it was ambassador Thomas Degree. And then ambassador asked them, how many Tibetans are there in New York? And then they replied, oh, we are not more than 60 New York, New Jersey combined. He was so shocked. He looked around and he had said, you know, how come you make such a big noise? That, that, was, uh, that was the situation at that time. So we thought that if a small number of Tibetans are able to make a difference, by bringing 1,000 Tibetans, we thought that uh, we will have additional 1,000 ambassadors uh, who could, you know, uh, make a huge difference. Th then we decided, uh, we, from ourselves, we suggested that it would be a good idea. But some, for some time, you know, uh, we did not get any response from Kashak. And in 1990, there was a change. And Denzila went back to India and he became one of the uh, cabinet uh, members. And then after that, we got uh, approval from the CTA to go ahead uh, with this program, uh, project. And then Ed Banner, uh, myself, uh, Michelle Bohana from uh, International Tibet, and then uh, Senator Kennedy's uh, senior staffer, Gary Smith. Yes, yes. Uh, four of us went to Dhamsala uh, to discuss the project in details and met with Denzela and uh, other uh, members, including Kumo Gesang Ishila and Jason uh, uh, Pamela. Yes. So, At this point, Rinjala, I was going to, can, may I, some of what you mentioned, all the people who have been involved in this, you had shared with me a little video, a short video. And should I uh, want to play that segment so that that explains a little bit. And and Denzla also mentioned how many people were involved in it. So the video clip shows uh, uh, the late uh, late chairman Gerim uh, explaining the um, program a little bit. Uh, it shows Speaker Pelosi and also a description from Tenzi uh, Takla, who was the one, the program coordinator in the United States. So if I may. I, I would uh, like to uh, play that at this point. I'm Lodi Jalsinjari, and I'm the special envoy of His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and I'm also the president of the International Campaign for Tibet. I would like to talk to you today about the U.S. Tibetan Resettlement Project. Now, this is one of the uh, important projects that the Tibetan government in exile and its friends in the United States has undertaken. But uh, uh, the reason why you know this uh, project is very important for us as the Tibetans on the whole is uh, this is going to give us a tremendous uh, uh, possibility of reaching out to millions of Americans uh, because all of these Tibetans will become ambassadors in their own way uh, to represent the cause of Tibet, the culture of Tibet, the civilization of Tibet, and also through them. Uh, 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 carry the message of the Tibetan people inside Tibet, uh, their sufferings, their aspirations. We had an amendment to the Legal Immigration Act um, of 1990, which was introduced by Congressman Barney Frank, that provided 1,000 immigrant visas for Tibetan refugees living in India and Nepal. Uh, and we passed both houses in the Senate. It was signed into law. That is an enormous uh, victory because it is a recognition of the separateness of Tibet. When the Immigration Act of 1990 was passed, Section 134 authorized 1,000 immigrant visas for 1,000 displaced Tibetans in India and Nepal. When the State Department came out with its regulations, it, has, it, it had designated the CTA, the Central Tibetan Administration in Dharamsala, as the agent in charge of, of the whole process. And the CTA, in turn, designated the Tibetan U.S. Resettlement Project here in the United States as the agent in charge of the whole resettlement process here in the United States. Since this project didn't involve any type of federal funding from the United States government, what we had to prove to the United States 
authorities was that all 1,000 Tibetans would come here and not become public charges. Now in order to get the visas, what we had to do was we had to secure 1,000 notarized guaranteed job offers for all 1,000 Tibetans. Besides that, each Tibetan had to be matched up with a sponsor, a home, and a, and a job. To everyone uh, who had uh, uh, helped us uh, make this uh, project uh, possible from uh, uh, the local committees to individuals uh, to the members of Congress who made it possible to uh, you know, introduce the legislation uh, to everyone in this country, you know, uh, let me express uh, uh, our gratitude on, on behalf of the Tibetan government and Tibetan people. So looking uh, back at that uh, video from uh, 1993, Tensla, as you also mentioned, uh, so many people uh, were involved in it. And then, um, as uh, Rinjala said, when you headed back to Dharamsala to head the government uh, in exile there, uh, you made the decision to move ahead with this uh, project and give it Kashak's full support. Um, and could you speak uh, about that decision and how and uh, what the impact that you feel um, has been from the passage of this bill for the Tibetan community? Sure. Uh, yes. Uh, very briefly. Well, first mm -hmm. of all, I think Regina uh, 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 speaking and uh, recalling many things, plus seeing the video, uh, refreshed my memory uh, quite a bit. And uh, by way of introduction, I should say that Ed Bedna is, uh, I believe, he's an Orthodox priest, and we also met many times at inter interreligious. Interfaith. Event, mm -hmm. which was about Thomas Merton, who, uh, you know, is a very famous mm -hmm. American figure and had met his holiness. So that was another uh, element to add to this. And uh, uh, it's true. I think uh, mm, uh, one of the points Rinchila made was that many Americans who were supporters of Tibet thought bringing Tibetans would uh, harm the cause of Tibet. I think it was uh, quite misinformed. And surprisingly, even on the Tibetan end, there were many Tibetans who would say, oh, we should never send any Tibetan abroad because uh, they lose their culture and language, while at the same time sending their own <laughs> family members or close friends as far away as possible whenever opportunities came up. So uh, as you can see, as the story unfolds, uh, each one of us has uh, uh, different re recollections. But uh, basically, um, this whole process was an effort of many and also trying the right way to, to shepherd this from an idea to implementation to making it happen. So I was on the front end of uh, an idea coming into fruition and laying the groundwork in the US. And then uh, I, I somehow found myself in Dharamsala at the next stage, uh, in a position to make it happen. So I think uh, just, you know, coincidences, efforts, and uh, uh, the efforts of many. To where we are today. So, Angela, would you like to add a few words as well before I begin bringing, inviting our two uh, next two guests? Yes. Uh, after returning from Dramsala, uh, Ed Bernard spearheaded. Uh, in establishing the Tibetan U.S. resettlement project. At that time, uh, the Tibet Fund and the Office of Tibet Board, a small townhouse mm -hmm. uh, not far from the United Nations, and we were able to provide office space for the Tibetan U.S. resettlement project. Mm -hmm. And uh, the board members of the U.S. Tibetan resettlement project met for several weeks Mm -hmm. And uh, without, you know, coming to an agreement, how we are going to bring 1,000 Tibetans to United States, mm -hmm. how we are going to employ, and how we are, we are going to help with their travel arrangements, so and so on. So uh, one day, you know, uh, remarkably, one of the board members suggested that we find 1,000 Tibetan, uh, 1,000 sponsors 
for each of the 1,000 Tibetan immigrants. And everyone liked this idea very much. And everyone in the board thought that we have so much support in this country that we will be, it will be very easy to find 1,000 sponsors for 1,000 Tibetans. But then, you know, we remembered the remarks by our American friends that this is mm -hmm. an ending point. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we thought that if we send Tibetans to wherever we find, you know, sponsors, then they will be scattered all around, and then we will definitely, uh, they will lose their uh, cultural identity. So the idea of setting uh, cluster sites then came. Then we decided to uh, settle the Tibetans in cluster sites. And it, to become a cluster site, uh, the committee has to uh, assure a minimum of 25 sponsors in one city. Uh, New York, San Francisco, Seattle, uh, Portland, Los Angeles, these cities were considered exceptional because they were already Tibetan community living in these cities. Mm -hmm. Other than this, in a new city, uh, we made it condition to assure at least 25 uh, sponsors. So that way we were able to, you know, uh, uh, establish uh, 21 cluster sites uh, in 18 uh, states. Thank you, Rinchala, for explaining that. That was took a lot of people and a lot of friends and supporters, many of whom still stay in touch. And now our next two guests we have uh, who are families of um, the 1,000 uh, 1, immigrants and from those cluster sites that you mentioned. So first, our first guest, uh, we have Ngawang Jogala. Ngawang uh, Jogala is president of the Tibetan American Foundation of Minnesota, which has one of the largest Tibetan uh, populations in America. And uh, she is also an attorney by profession, specializing in immigration law. Her family was part of the original 1,000 uh, immigrants. So, Ngawala, welcome to our program. We also have uh, um, uh, president of Tibetan Association of Colorado, uh, Tensi Jingmela, he is also a successful business development and sales executive by his profession. His family was also part of the original uh, 1,000 Tibetans uh, as part of that uh, immigration. So, Jingmela, uh, thank you. Welcome, uh, both of you, to our um, program. I wanted to ask, we heard from uh, Denzila and Rinjala the background of the bill. And as uh, your families, your parents came here as part of this original 1000, can you share a little bit each of what, what, what your, your family experience, uh, how it was for you? Nala, maybe we can start with you first. Sure, yeah. Um, thank you for having me here. I'm originally from um, Dharamsala, India, and I went to Upper TCB school until fourth grade. Uh, so my mom was one of the visa lottery winners, and so mm -hmm. she came here in 1992, um, and the rest of our family members came here in 1996. Um, I was just, um, I had just turned nine years old, and my sister was six. Um, initially, it was uh, very uh, challenging learning the American system. Mm -hmm. um, you know, life in India is very fun for a child. We could go outside, um, go to the store by ourselves, uh, and there wasn't much need for uh, an adult supervision, you know, and parents didn't have to worry so much. Um, so there was a huge culture shock for all of us when we arrived in America. Uh, we couldn't get around much without a car and hearing a foreign language everywhere we went. Um, so that, that was difficult at the beginning. Um, but we knew we had to adapt. Uh, and my mom worked at a laundry facility, and my my dad got a minimum paying job at a meat factory, working overnight so that he could spend time during the during the day with us. You know, so um, we understand that our parents made a lot of sacrifices so that we could have a better life and more opportunities than they had. Um, so over the time, we have learned a lot and adapted. Uh, but one thing that I was ma made aware of was how important it was to keep speaking in Tibetan and not losing our identity, because it is so easy to do that living here um, in another country where Tibetan is not a primary language. Um, 
so my family, uh, we've lived here in Minnesota um, since, since our arrival. Um, and then um, I've always been involved uh, with our community uh, since high school through various organizations like SFT, RTYC, Youth for Umilam, and then with our Tibetan Community Center here. Um, uh, both me and my sister, we went to school here. Uh, I got my bachelor's and JD here. Uh, my, my sister went to college in Maine. Um, but yeah, through for all of these, you know, we are very grateful for His Holiness, uh, to all those involved in getting the bill passed, um, our families, uh, my husband, you know, everyone working hard to keep our identity strong and alive. Um, I now have three little kids myself, you know, and so I want to teach them the values I've learned growing up and also mm -hmm. teach them the importance of preserving our culture and our identity. Yep, thank you, Lala. And uh, Jingmila, please, maybe you would share your thoughts. So first of all, uh, thank you for inviting me, Tenchula, and uh, it is my pleasure to meet Kumu Tedula and Kumu Rinchula uh, here virtually. And um, so, yeah, Tenchula uh, already introduced um, as uh, um, we, since July, I served as the president of the Tibetan Association of uh, Colorado. And um, it is really amazing to reflect back on the fact that 30 years ago, my father, uh, his name is Paul Lim Ludum, and along with 999 Tibetans were the lucky lottery winners through the 1991 Tibetan Resettlement Program. Uh, my mother, sister, and I eventually immigrated to the U.S. in 98 after my dad uh, naturalized. Um, I was 18 at the time, and my sister was 14. So personally, I think um, we were just happy to be together as a family and also in all of this country that offers so much in terms of opportunity. Um, our journey through this, uh, through high school, college and professional life, I can't really think of anything unique to really share with you that may be worthwhile. Um, we assimilated as much as necessary and thankfully, because of our parents' care and guidance, uh, we didn't face any challenges, so to speak, and that we couldn't overcome. And um, however, again, as I reflect back, the one thing that holds some weight in our experience as a family living in our new life in U.S., it is the uh, vivid memory that I really have of the tremendous amount of sacrifice my parents uh, had made to give us the best possible chance to succeed in life. And whether it was to, you know, practice this holiness advice to be kind, compassionate, or just to simply study hard as all our parents ask us to do. Yeah, uh, recollecting the struggles of my parents, just like Nawala and mentioned, um, I think that was uh, the vivid memory that I still have where my father, uh, before he immigrated to the U.S., he was the uh, 10th grade, uh, 10th grade uh, math teacher in Central Tibetan Administration, Central Tibetan School in Mungud and uh, before he moved to the U.S. And my mother, Karma Palzum, uh, she was a teacher in a primary school in mm -hmm. Camp 7. And, uh, and those were all revered professions and uh, they took pride in their work. So mm -hmm. I cannot imagine the challenges of moving to a foreign country with language barrier, perhaps mm -hmm. only in communication style and accent. Nevertheless, mm -hmm. it still makes it very difficult. And um, my father in particular, uh, he worked in two shifts, you know, for six days, maybe some days, seven days, you know, in two different fast food restaurants. And because his degree was not honored over here and uh, for several years, he just did that so he could send money back home and pay for my high school fees. So uh, and my mother, again, um, she worked at an awning manufacturing company uh, for several years, which, again, is very physically taxing. And I remember those days. So. Um, it is just through uh, just their perseverance, you know, through the early struggles that uh, me and my sister, we were able to have a comfortable life and prioritize education. So, like again, like Nawala, I'm, I'm sure there's so many similar stories as ours with the other individuals and their family members as well. And um, so, yeah, I think uh, maybe it is um, in our human nature that sometimes we do forget where we come from and all of the direct and the indirect, you know causes and conditions that have really led to essentially where and who we are right now. Mm -hmm. So I'm uh, very uh, grateful to the uh, chief architects of the Tibetan resettlement program. 
and uh, obviously our um, undying devotion and love for His Holiness, uh, for the foresight that you know um, all of y'all had to pursue such lofty goals, you know, to empower so many Tibetans uh, to not only be financially independent but also be ambassadors of Tibet and preserve and share our unique culture to the world. So um, my heartfelt gratitude to all. Thank you, Jingana, for putting that so, putting that very eloquently. I also, um, from the beginning, especially the thousand immigrants, had a real strong sense of being ambassadors for Tibet. And I think even the administration and even his, in His Holiness, I think we saw in that little clip, everybody got an audience and a little gift from His Holiness um, that uh, people cherished and people really took uh, their responsibility as not just another immigrant uh, coming here, but also shouldering a greater responsibility uh, for Tibet. And uh, with that, two of you are also, you are um, presidents of your own communities. And uh, can you want to hear a little bit of, I talked uh, earlier of thriving Tibetan communities in North America. You're the president of one of the largest um, uh, clusters of uh, Tibetans living in uh, North America. Can you share, you know, a little about your um, community in Minnesota? How do you keep your roots? What are things that connect you? What are some challenges? I mean, I'm mean, sure it's a broad thing to cover, but maybe in a, a few minutes you could share. Sure. Yeah, so as you mentioned, Minnesota was um, one of the cluster locations. And initially, um, from my understanding, there were about 160 people placed here. Mm -hmm. And so the previous uh, board members, you know, they've worked so hard to build a foundation that we have now, um, and it's a growing population. They started uh, the Tibetan language school and music classes back in 97 with the specific goal of preserving our, our, our rich culture and language. Um, so I believe it's our duty to continue their work and make uh, the improvements with our growing population. Um, since the initial group of 160 Tibetans due to relocation and migration, we estimate now that we have about uh, 5,000 Tibetans living in Minnesota. Um, we uh, previously, uh, we had a, or we still have our uh, previous uh, community center, uh, but it's uh, too small. So last year we purchased a larger community center. Um, and so uh, our community provides so much for our members and we uh, work very well together. Uh, we have, uh, we still have the weekend Tibetan language classes offered uh, to kindergartens uh, through eighth grade. And currently we have about 170 students enrolled this year. Our music mm -hmm. program has about 60 kids. Uh, mm -hmm. We also have uh, Lumpton, which is a mentoring and tutoring program for students getting ready to go to college. Uh, this was initially uh, started by uh, several college students. Um, and this was uh, very much needed in our community because, um, you know, as the initial students going into college, our parents didn't know the process, um, you know, filling out uh, FAFSA, college applications, get, uh, preparing essays and things like that. So the, we didn't have that guidance back then. Um, but so we are, uh, so then this, this Lumpton was uh, created so that we could later provide uh, the assistance to future uh, high school students so that uh, they have the help that their parents couldn't provide. Um, and now we also have Tibetan Kids Club for toddlers and younger students to stay active and learn about our culture. And we also work in collaboration with our local um, nonprofits uh, with community service programs and other events. Um, just last weekend, we had our annual flu shot clinic and COVID vaccines to our community members. Um, so then that way, they didn't have to worry about making an appointment. Um, or our elders who didn't speak English, you know, so we would have trans interpreters readily available during these clinic. Um, and then so we try, we try to do our best to provide for our community members. You know, we understand the struggles people are facing when they are unsure of the system or when they're new to the country. Uh, we've experienced it. So that's why we provide resources to our community members, um, so that they don't have to struggle, um, like, um, you know, previous uh, members have had. Um, something that I'm uh, really proud of our Tibetan community 
Um, unlike, you know, Tibetans are refugees, but we are not considered a refugee in this country. And um, those who did come to this country as a refugee, they had the benef benefit of receiving public assistance. So, um, and Tibetans, you know, they uh, they didn't come with a refugee visa. They came with an immigrant visa. And so they, they weren't eligible for public assistance. Um, so what I'm proud of is that Tibetans worked very hard to stand up on their own two feet. And uh, this shows that Tibetans have self-determination and are self-sufficient. You know, this is how our community has grown um, and improved. And uh, some of the challenges that I see, um, you know, language is obviously a, uh, a difficulty to our younger generation. Um, uh, we are, you know, everywhere we look, our school, um, TV, everything is in English. So it's, it, it is difficult for the younger kids, kids who are born in this country um, to preserve, uh, but it's our duty as parents to continue speaking and teaching that to um, our kids. Um, and then another uh, challenge that I see is that, you know, uh, participation by younger generation is uh, much lower. And I would, uh, I would hope and I would like to see that improve um, in the future. Thank you, Marla. Jimila, Colorado, again, you have a uh, small one, a smaller uh, community, but you also quite spread out uh, uh, community, uh, but then growing also because we have many people moving there now. So could you share what your experience is like a little bit about your community? Sure. So, um, yeah, uh, we are a small community here. Mm -hmm. um, we're not as spread out uh, right now. I think we probably reside within 30 mile radius. Uh, everybody uh, mm -hmm. around a certain geographic area. And mm -hmm. um, so I am, my father's sponsor, late uh, sponsor, Albin, he lived in Colorado and I uh, did not really feel like, you know, that Colorado was a great place when I was 18. I was I really thought I wanted to be in New York or California. So uh, now looking back, um, uh, I really, is, I'm so lucky to be living in Colorado with a, a, a vibrant and a growing Tibetan community here. And Tenshula can attest to it. You've lived here before and it is a beautiful, beautiful- The mountains you know, remind you yeah. of Tibet. Yes, of mm -hmm. course. And um, that's what we keep hearing from, especially from Tibetans who have Either born, who were either born in Tibet or had visited Tibet, that mm -hmm. this really reminds them of Tibet. So, um, initially in the beginning, early 90s, there were about roughly 20 Tibetans, I would say, mm -hmm. that moved to Colorado under the resettlement program. And, um, and our current estimate is that there are about 500 to 600 Tibetans living in Colorado. And we do live uh, very close, actually, and it's very mm -hmm. easy to congregate now. And um, one of the things that I do want to mention is that our TSC board, uh, we have a very aggressive campaign uh, that we have initiated to collect uh, accurate census info with key mm -hmm. data points that people are willing to share with us that can be useful uh, within our first year, which I believe will be a very sound foundation to initiate targeted campaigns and such. So. Um, this has been something in our minds, but uh, we are finally rolling it out and hopefully in the future we can, you know, say with um, concrete affirmation that we have this many Tibetans with this many age groups and with uh, all the demographic info. So we hope to have that within a year. And um, again, it is also interesting to hear um, from our uh, speakers, Kungulas, uh, uh that um, Preservation of the Tibetan language and culture was one of the main concerns in the beginning of this uh, resettlement project. Because fast forward to now, and there's probably unanimous consensus by all the Tibetan associations across North America that this really is one of our biggest challenges to ensure our uh, young generation children that are born and brought up in America uh, are able to speak, read, and write in Tibetan language. I can speak on behalf of the TSC that supporting our weekend Tibetan cultural school is one of our main priority. Um, we are so grateful to our volunteer language, uh, song and dance teachers, and uh, for dedicating their precious time and effort 
Um, it is very challenging considering uh, we do not have a community center yet. Uh, we are working hard towards it, by the way. And uh, with COVID still not behind us, uh, we continue to teach our language classes via Zoom, mm -hmm. um, which obviously has its own sets of challenges. And um, all the challenges notwithstanding, uh, we are firm in our resolute to build on what we have and ensure that we foster and provide a quality learning space for our children so they can grow up and grow up uh, with a sense of uh, Tibetan identity and take pride in learning their Tibetan language and culture. So um, one of my um, one of my uh, goal and aspiration for the Tibetan community in Colorado is is to grow like I've mentioned this before in our pre-meeting as well and I just wanted to elaborate a bit on it which is is to grow a community engagement with the TSC in particular um, the association and to have affinity towards the association and a sense of us um, mm -hmm. I've mentioned this to a friend or two and un unfortunately I'm usually met with pessimism and um, objectively speaking it does seem tricky or difficult because um, how do you measure it and what are the metrics right to define its success or failures so um, anyways in, instead of being bogged down uh, with the idea of measuring the success of every campaign or initiative uh, pertaining to the goal of growing community engagement uh, with the TAC with the uh, within the community uh, we just plan on wholeheartedly working for and with the community uh, by you know initiating, many uh, campaigns and events that engage the community and uh, hopefully which that will rid of the apathy that you know um, that um, you know and and engage meaningfully essentially so um, finally on behalf of the uh, Tibetan Colorado I would once again like to express my heartfelt gratitude uh, to his holiness and to all that were involved in the Tibetan resettlement project since the uh, 20 Tibetans moved here uh, to Colorado in the early 90s, uh, we have spread the good word and how it is wonderful to live here in Colorado. And uh, there are many, many Tibetans moving here from out of state. And um, we, uh, yeah, we hope that it continues, which we uh, definitely uh, think it will. So uh, once again, thank you, Denchula, for giving uh, me the opportunity. You may have more people today more Tibetans moving to Colorado after hearing this show and <laughs> you're speaking about it, especially if you have a community center soon. Um, at this point, we do want to try and take uh, some uh, audience uh, questions in. I just wanted to add one comment from um, uh, Bill Payne on Facebook. It says, I served on the steering committee on the Burlington Vermont resettlement cluster site and he says I was there when the first groups of Tibetans arrived we were able to see his holiness in Montreal with some of the newly resettled Tibetans in 1994 I moved away from Burlington soon after that and lost contact with the project but over the years it has been really wonderful to see the activities of the new communities of Tibetans around the U.S. And with that, I wanted to also add that really, I also, for my, uh, on my uh, work, I get to travel around and meet a lot of uh, uh, Tibetan communities everywhere. And I'm like so proud of our community. Uh, we have like doctors, nurses, teachers, healthcare workers, police officers, postal workers, you know, congressional staffers, uh, and people working at the White House at, uh, and it's just amazing, uh, who you'll meet sometimes, um, on the street and you realize, um, they are Tibetan and you find them in all different walks of American society now. Um, not only contributing to America's society, but also carrying forward our own um, heritage and the plight of our homeland. And uh, both of you, Ngaola and Denzi Jingla, you are, um, you know, um, products of this uh, 
um, community that we are really proud to see, especially younger ones. When you take leadership roles, it impacts uh, the future for every one of us. Uh, now, I do want to have one question here um, that is um, uh, many challenges that I've heard uh, from Tibetans uh, is uh, um, connection with their family members um, back in Tibet. So, I mean, that continues to be uh, an uh, issue uh, uh, that comes up with us. Uh, have you faced that in, in, in your communities of restrictions? Even though you are American citizens, you have, you know, um, uh, in every aspect, uh, you're American, but when you try to get a visa for Tibet, uh, um, you are not, uh, you are cast aside as, um, uh, as, uh, as Tibetans. Um, is that something you have faced? Because that's something that, uh, we have been uh, trying to work on and through the, uh, reciprocal access, uh, to Tibet bill. It's something we try to track also um, um, for our organization. I can just make a quick comment on that. Mm -hmm. uh, just through word of mouth uh, within the community. Um, yes, I, I have recently, there's been even more of uh, denial of visa uh, to even Tibetan Americans trying to visit or even Tibetan Americans that have visited Tibet before. So. Uh, there's definitely uh, no entry. I think there's a real harsh stance right now, perhaps because of COVID and other, you know, uh, political reasons as well. But there definitely is a hard, you know, um, metal cage door right now, and uh, which prevents uh, Tibetans from accessing, you know, their homeland for sure. Mahala, did you want to speak to that? Um, I personally haven't um, gotten any news from anybody locally. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I mean, I have seen on social media from other local members who have visited, uh, who have uh, visited Tibet. So, I mean, I saw pictures and things like that. But um, personally, yeah, no one has mentioned that they had challenges uh, going to Tibet or uh, getting their visas denied. Um, so, um, as of now, uh, I haven't, I, I don't have much information on that. And then, um, if I might add mm -hmm. something to that, which is uh, we do encourage our community members who do attempt to go to Tibet, if their visas are denied, to uh, report it, you know, to the State Department so that it can be uh, can be tagged as such. And then hopefully the uh, I think it is uh, twice a year or something where they do an assessment. And so hopefully it can come up in that reciprocal act. Um, through that act, uh, they can ensure that, you know, Tibetans are getting proper access to Tibet as well. Thank you, Jamila. And uh, uh, last few, one question also for both of you. We have many um, American friends and ICT members who feel, who want to stay, want to be connected with Tibetan communities. Uh, and if they are listening here today, how do you, uh, would you uh, recommend uh, American friends, if they want to be engaged with, uh, involved in Tibetan community events locally, uh, what do you recommend? Okay. Well, um, our community in Minnesota, we have our website, uh, tafm.org. Uh, we are also active on social media through Facebook. Um, most of our events, we do go live, so it is available worldwide. Um, in the past past few years, our, our Facebook has been getting a lot of attention worldwide. So it's great to see, you know, we are some of our board members, you know, during uh, like Tungar, you know, when they're uh, dancing in the circle Gorshe dance, their relatives are sending screenshots saying like, hey, I saw you on Facebook, you know. <laughs> so um, it's been nice uh, using that. But um, non-Tibetans who want to uh, participate um, our events informations are always uh, shared on social media through our our Facebook. Um, we have an office manager who uh, you know who who's uh, at our community center working, and so any questions you know they're uh, they're uh, free to contact our office or email. Um, we uh, always respond. So um, as far as the uh, 
outreach to Tibetan Association of Colorado. I would uh, break it into two. Uh, one is if you just want to mingle and be a part of the community and enjoy the events, of course, uh, like uh, on our website, uh, there will be event po events posted and you are more than welcome to join us. And um, on the other hand, um, if you feel like you have certain skill sets that can be useful to us uh, as a for the Tibetan community, uh, send us a direct email, um, which you will find on our website info at coloradotibetans.org and uh, we will be happy to engage with you and see where we could uh, use your services. Thank you and uh, with that I think we are running uh, out of we've we've run out of time but I want to give the floor to Tenzila and Rinjala if you would like to add any uh, last uh, comments before we close. Sure, I would like to just say that, uh, you know, uh, easily 1,000 great stories behind this uh, resettlement project. And I think uh, the fact that you are bringing everybody in together to review what's happened and uh, have a, uh, share this with people, I think it's a wonderful effort. And I think uh, uh, one of the only communities that actually done a proper documentation of the settlement stories is our community in Boston. A few of the younger members of the community have produced a wonderful book uh, about the Tibetan community in Boston. So I think uh, that's a good example for all other communities to try and follow. It's not too late, nor is it too early to start documenting and putting our stories together. I think this uh, we all, we thought that a thousand Tibetans coming to the U.S. would be an important event. I think its importance could grow over the years if we continue to tell our stories well. So that's what I would like everyone to uh, try and do. The Tibetan U.S. resettlement project uh, spearheaded by Ed Banner with support of the Office of Tibet, the International Campaign for Tibet, and uh, Above all, the hardworking and dedicated cluster side coordinators is one of the most successful uh, program in the U.S. immigration history. The initial 1,000 immigrants multiplied into several thousand Tibetans. We now have well over 25,000 Tibetans in the United States with uh, 27 Tibetan associations. Many of these Tibetan associations have purchased community centers. The Tibetans across the United States have preserved Tibet's unique culture in various ways. Uh, there are established former weekend Tibetan schools. Uh, Tibetan communities gather uh, to celebrate various cultural holidays throughout the year. Uh, many of the Tibetans who came under Tibetan U.S. resettlement project have board houses and many of their children have graduated from uh, reputed American universities with professional degrees uh, including uh, doctors, lawyers, engineers, mm -hmm. etc. Uh, with help of a filmmaker uh, Ken Young, uh, we are currently working to complete a long-standing documentary project of the Tibetan U.S. resettlement project. Uh, I'm glad uh, Tenjula has shown mm -hmm. a part of it today, and we hope to complete this uh, documentary project by the end of uh, 2022. And uh, yes, as Tenjula mentioned, I've also seen the book uh, brought by the uh, Tibetan immigrants in Boston, uh, which is really very uh, good. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Rinjala, and uh, we look forward to the film as well. And I'm so glad that uh, somebody took interviews and uh, filmed um, the process all those years back. And now that should be very interesting to see. So thank you for um, sharing that. And thank you all for joining us uh, today. Uh, I hope our uh, viewers found it interesting uh, as well. And with that, I'd just like to add, we'll be back next month with another episode of Tibet Talks. It'll be Thursday, November 4th. Um, we'll be discussing a book 
new book, the, This Fragile Planet, with the author, environmentalist, adventure travel writer, Michael Buckley. It's a wonderful book featuring many inspiring quotes of His Holiness, and the conversation will focus on the Tibetan plateau and the intersection of serious human rights and environmental challenges that it faces today. Uh, the book is also, the book is available online, but we hope to soon have copies on our ICT web store. Uh, with that, please join us Thursday, November 4th. Our uh, past talks are archived on ICT's YouTube channel and also on our podcast. Um, you can visit savetibet.org slash live to learn more and also to join our mailing list and get alerts of our uh, upcoming uh, talks. Uh, and uh, thank you for all our viewers, for your interest, dedication, and support for Tibet. The more people care about Tibet, the bigger the impact we can have. So um, thank you. And with that, until next time, please stay safe, stay well. Um, and that's it from us. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tibet Talks. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Learn more at savetibet.org slash pod. To find out how you can get involved in our efforts to promote human rights and democratic freedoms for the people of Tibet, please visit savetibet.org slash support. Thank you and see you next time on Tibet Talks. <laughs>